Today I want to talk about unity, saying outside in the prayer meeting, I wanted to call it the highest call of worship. I felt the Lord saying, are you sure about that? I don't think you get to really call it the highest call of worship. And I was like, okay, cool. How about a call of worship? He's like, no, no, don't take it all the way down to first gear. Like, find somewhere in the middle. So I believe that unity is the high call of worship. And I'll demonstrate that with Scripture. Then I'll take us into some things that could be impeding our unity, even when we feel that we are united. And we're going to go back into worship. And I'm trusting the Lord to show us a manifest change in the way we've worshipped now, which was deep and true and wonderful. But what happens when we have an understanding of what it is that God calls us to in worship? The reason we use music is to bring us into unity. It should align you. If it doesn't align you, back to music school. The point is we use music as an expression of heaven's sound. So the sound of heaven comes through the instruments, comes through the voices, but we use it to unite us all which is why Lifehouse will have a culture of music and a culture of songs because that brings us into unitedness, it uni uni into unity. It brings us into unity. So that is why we use music. Um, unity, unity, unity. I got this video from a video of a video of a video at Bethel last year that I want to show you, and the audio is terrible. So if we can go back to audio, yeah? The, the audio is terrible. But I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to describe what's happening and see if you can hear it. You'll hear Fantastic. So what happened in that meeting, which was much clearer, obviously, in the session, is those guys were so united, that's what it was. And they were so unimpeded, like this incredible young man who's standing in front of me who just doesn't know that there's a demarcated area or there's a posture or in anything. Hey, Phelan, you just know that you are the oak. And we grow, we grow up and, yeah, and he's interested. We grow up and we grow old and we, we take on fear, shame, and guilt. And we no longer boldly approach the throne. We sing it. We don't do it. This little guy's like, well, this is where all the action is. I want to be where the action is. These guys in this session were so united and so unimpeded that God presenced himself. And you can't hear that sound with the magnitude that it was recorded at. But it shook the building. And it was not an instrument. They were checking with each other. Dan was going around, was that you? Was that you? Was that you? And eventually, there was basically the guy going, send the fire, and the little conch shell being blown. And every time he sang those words, God anointed that phrase, and the presence of God would enter that building, and this wind would shake the walls. It's, it's, we've lost it. It's a pity. It's like it's only a video recording. Ah! But that's what happens when absolute unity happens in worship, when people are singing and they know what they're singing. Their worship lines with their understanding. Okay? I went too far ahead. Genesis 2, 21 to 23. If you guys will go with me, please. Okay, so I think everything could be found in Genesis. I'm not the only one who thinks this. I think, yes, we have extrapolation in the rest of Scripture, but Genesis basically encapsulates everything we need to know about everything, just not unpacked yet. 21 to 23, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. The Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Now, what's cool about the NLT, the New Living Translation, is verse 23 says, At last! The dude was stoked. And he said, so Adam said, 
This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. What's important there is that Eve is formed out of Adam. There isn't a new and separate creation. They are already unified, literally one flesh from the same DNA. Just take it to that level. Take a part of me and I manage to grow another human from my hand. It's the same DNA. There's the model of unity in worship. God creates Adam as the pinnacle of his creation and goes, Adam, you are an example of my creativity, of my everything, of my awe, of my wonder. And he creates unity to display that. And that's why unity was broken. There was so much narrative in, in, in the serpent deceiving Adam and Eve to cause tension, to break unity. The first failure of worship was that this couple who symbolized everything about unity and about true worship was fractured. And then God spends the rest of the Bible basically restoring that. The narrative always that God breathed into us, created us in their image, in God's image, and that unity was broken. And the whole process has been about restoring that unity and restoring worship. Um, Genesis 4, 1 to 16. Right, Cain and Abel. Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops to the, as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, said the Lord? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. You will be accepted if you worship correctly. Okay? But if you refuse to do what is right, if you refuse to offer your sacrifice to worship correctly, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. The consequence of incorrect worship, which is linked to other things we'll get to, is that sin crouches and waits for us. Because of incorrect worship, we're singing, Lord, you are above every circumstance. I am blessed in a million ways. But because we do not have a correct posture and understanding of our worship, sin is waiting for us. We're running the process, but there's no partnership. We're doing, the th we're doing a functional thing and not a family thing. We're not, we're not doing the relationship thing. And there's a consequence of that. That's why it's important to understand that we worship correctly from the correct posture. Um, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. These were the fields. This was Cain's territory. He took Abel to Cain's fields, to the place he was operating in, where he was seeing God's blessing or not blessing. He took him into that area to determine. He took him to his flesh area to determine what should be done about the situation. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I'm pretty sure this is the first time God ever asked that question, which is why I think Cain thought he could get away with it when he said, I don't know, am I my brother's guardian? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground. Now take this in. So it starts with an incorrect posture of worship, of sacrifice. God's like, don't do that. Here's the correct way. No, no, Lord, actually, this is the best of what I would like to offer. And what does it land up in? Death. It lands up in death. Um, 
You are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. Now I'm going to stretch a little bit over here. Stick with me. When we have an incorrect posture of worship and we rebel and we insist on bringing death into the situation, God will curse our work so that it is no longer profitable. You want to know why the bank account is empty? If you are in this position where you're going, Lord, I'm worshiping, but I'm worshiping under my conditions. I do not need to correct my perspective of you. It can lead to this. It can lead to your work no longer being productive. I don't know that this is for this community. That's why I'm parking it over here. But look out for it. Big consequences for not bringing the appropriate form of worship. Um, Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence. Another big consequence. Incorrect posture of praise leads to murder, leads to the productivity of our hands, your provision no longer being good enough, and you leave the presence of the Lord. That's a lot of consequence for one thing that came down to the Lord said blood must be shed for the sacrifice. And somebody decided, I don't like blood. I'm going to bring my harvest. Very important. In the middle, the tabernacle of, David reveal, tabernacle of David reveals the order and method of acceptable worship. So we kind of wander around and we try and figure this thing out. And God, okay, God goes, cool, I'm going to send you the prototype, the archetype, the type of David, the form of Christ. And he is going to demonstrate to you what is worthy worship. Now, key things to remember. Number one, David is the chap who wrote a lot of the Psalms. Okay? They are the correct posture of approaching God. David doesn't start with, Lord, you're awesome, life is wonderful, everything's good and fine. David is always vulnerable, wide open, crazy vulnerable. Lord, I'm frustrated, I don't understand, but there's always reconciliation in the Psalms. He starts from a position of, Lord, help me, I'm broken, but he always lands up at a point of restoration. Who knows if these Psalms were written over a month or in one sitting? But there's always a narrative, and it's how we get to approach God in worship. We come here on a Sunday, and we've brought our week's stuff. We get to go, Lord, yo, I don't understand what's going on with that deal, with that person, with that disease. We get to lay that at God's feet, and then we get to declare his goodness over that. And that is where the healing comes from. There is a pattern. So in the tabernacle of David, the musicians were chosen. They were called out. If you were left-handed... There was one thing you could do in the tabernacle of David. You could be a recordist. That's what you could do. You didn't get an instrument. You got trained for 30 years to write down what the chief musician said. So David would be saying, oh, Lord, I call out to you and sheeps on the bounding hills and all of that. The recordist would write that down, whether it was used or not. He sat and recorded everything. Then that was delegated and sent off to a musician. You could become a, a singer, you could become a horn player, you could become a harpist or whatever. You spent 30 years being trained for the tabernacle. You built your own instrument from scratch. It was an extension of you. Your identity was built into that instrument so that anointing could flow freely from you to your instrument. And people would hear everything of your true experience of God. Then you were put into ministry for three years. After three years, you were retired. At 33, that was it. Tabernacle worshiper, you're out of there. And that was the model. The reason the model's important 
is because Jesus was trained for 30 years in the synagogue by the rabbis. And then his work was three years. So we have a very, very good type of this is how you worship. And this is when your period is up of ministry. Obviously, we don't have that anymore. Otherwise, we'd all just be waiting for Dale to hit 30 and come into his own. God now chooses to drop his anointing on who he chooses to drop it on, and you can worship until you're 70 years old. But there was a point that it was confirming that the type of David and the things he did was acceptable and correct worship of the Lord. Um, much as Shakespeare is considered the pinnacle literary writer, David is the pinnacle worship writer. His work is the right and acceptable model. We actually know a bit more about this. Um, Matthew 26, 26 to 30. If you would, wouldn't mind, please go with me to these because you're going to see some things that for whatever reason I never spotted before, um, Ange hadn't spotted before, and I don't think many of us have spotted before. As they were eating, so now Last Supper, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for it is my body. And he took the cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them each and said, Each of you drink for it, for this is my blood, which confirms the co covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 30, most profound, confirmed twice in two of the Gospels, and there's a great commentary on it. Then they sang a hymn. Jesus led a hymn. And they went out to the Mount of Olives. The last thing Jesus did, he goes, all right, fine. God demands blood. We're celebrating the Passover. But I tell you now, break this body, drink this blood. It is now the replacement. In the same process, he says, and now we're going to worship. And he sings a song. The very thing he, last thing he does before he goes to the conclusion, the ultimate conclusion, is he worships. Which now all of a sudden puts worship at a very high position of how we equip ourselves against our greatest tribulations. Jesus is about to die, and the last thing he does in community is sing worship. He doesn't read a prayer. In fact, this was known as an antiphonal worship. It's a Jewish tradition. At the Passover, they bring up Psalm 114 to 118, and they sing it antiphonally to each other. Jesus would have led it. Um, are we there yet? I'm going to come back there in a second. Okay, so Psalm 114 to 118, go there, please. You are about to see, for the first time I've ever seen demonstrated, Jesus singing a worship song. And we know the words to that worship song. When the Israelites escaped from Egypt, when the family of Jacob left that foreign land, the land of Judah became God's sanctuary, and Israel became his kingdom. We are Israel. We have become his kingdom, our bodies, the temples that God has chosen to dwell in. I want to say something very cool that Steph Gretzinger said in the States. She said, if God has chosen to dwell in you, you are hardly a shack. Guys who have issues with God would never choose me. If God chose of the whole of eternity, all of space and time and matter to, choose, to, to live in Gary, you don't get to, did, he did, he did. Louis says so too. You don't get to determine that God has made a bad choice. He has chosen of all the places in eternity to live in what we call a shack. And we need to be very careful about that. God does not live in shacks. 
Okay, just a little aside there. So just tents. Yeah, tents are okay. They're flipping good-looking tents, though. Uh, the Red Sea, I love this. So what would happen is Jesus would sing one of these out, and the antiphonal part is like call and response. So I would read a passage, and everyone in the room with full conviction would go, Hallelujah! That's what would happen. So I'm going to read this next portion, and then you're going to give me a hallelujah. The Red Sea saw them coming, right? Personification. Not yet. I'll, I'll cue you. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be hallelujahing all the way. The Red Sea saw them coming and hurried out of their way. Personification. Rich language. The water of the Jordan turned away. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What's wrong, Red Sea, that made you hurry out of their way? What happened, Jordan River, that you turned away? Why mountains did you skip like rams? Why hills like lambs? And that would go on all the way through. And if you read through 114 to 118, you will see all of the promises fulfilled of that journey. The whole redemptive story from Egypt all the way out is encapsulated in this 114 to 118. And Jesus took that to the cross. He went, the Lord made the mountains skip out of the way. He parted the sea. That is the power and the confidence that, God, that, that, that Jesus took to the cross. So when he hung there, he had that. Can you imagine not having that and going and hanging on a cross? This was intentional. This was on purpose. It was the last thing that they worshipped before Jesus went to the cross. Ah, blown away by that. I didn't know Jesus sung anywhere in the Bible. In fact, for a long time I was going on my little rant of, Jesus didn't play anything, so why, do we, why are we so bent on worship? And then he taught me a little... So we've been corrected. <laughs> okay, today, Matthew 6, 14, 15. Uh, please read with me, Matthew, 14, Matthew 6, 14, 15. Matthew 6, 14, 15. Okay, so red letter, Jesus' words. If you forgive those who sin against you, choice, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Red letter from Jesus. No apostle trying to fluff this up. When you fast, no, stop, I've gone too far. Um, so we glean from Scripture that unforgiveness is, an abs is absolutely unacceptable. We cannot approach the Father in worship before we believe what we declare. So we're singing... Lord, you've forgiven all my sins, your grace is boundless, but we are not taking that with the correct posture and the conviction to lend it to those that we walk with. We're holding on to something. So there's a duality of mind. We're singing this, but we're not believing it enough because we're not setting others free in unforgiveness. Now, let's just be careful about this. Unforgiveness and a posture of unforgiveness are different. So who of you guys have issues with people that you've forgiven them for, but every day you wake up and you forgive them anew. Cool? Only one person. Come on. Okay. So that is a posture of forgiveness. That's what this is describing. That's where every day you wake up and you're like, Lord, help me through this. I'm not there yet, but I'm in a posture of forgiveness. Just before we start thinking that we're cut off because we haven't somehow miraculously got over ourselves. Because that doesn't happen quickly. And that's unhelpful teaching. Today, Matthew 6, 14, 15. Are we still there? Uh, it's the same one. Okay. Uh, Psalm 133, 1 to 3. Right. The scripture for today. 
How wonderful and pleasant is it when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. Anointing is precious. It's the ultimate. Who wants to be anointed by God to be, to, to be something, do something, walk into their inheritance? It's everything. Harmony is as precious, equivalent to. Unity is as precious, blessing, and powerful as anointing. Therefore, I'm going to stretch, and I don't think it's a long stretch, Mr. Greek, that if you don't have unity, you are going to choke anointing. I'm, go I'm going to stretch to there. I'm going to say no unity, no anointing. Okay? Um, it's as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. This is very rich. You should ask Steve about this. There's actually a lot to this. Um, Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there, in harmony, not the mount, stick with me, in harmony, the Lord has pronounced his blessing and even life everlasting. Now, I know I'm extrapolating to the point where it might be questionable, but it makes sense to me. There, in harmony, is where God pronounces his blessing. We're cool with that. Where there's unity, there's blessing, and there's God's presence because you can't bring blessing unless he's present. Right? So you want to quell God's presence? Bring disunity. I'm going to stretch one step on life everlasting. I'm not talking about salvation. Everlasting life, the new life that God has given us, that gives us the joy, that gives us all the fruit of the Spirit, that gives us everlasting life that we feel now in the now but not yet comes from unity. Disunity, you will not live in life everlasting. It's got nothing to do with eternity and salvation. It's got to do with living in life everlasting now. Waking up every morning and going, I'm alive, will not happen if there is deliberate disunity. Um, there's something else before I move on. I've somehow dropped a slide. So the slide that I dropped was... Anyone quote the scripture for me, the one where you need to approach your brother and sort forgiveness out before you? Matthew 18. Okay, it's important because there's a, there's, 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 there's a burden on the other side of the relationship that we might not have noticed. Matthew 17, 18. Uh, Matthew 18. Do you have a verse for me? Verse 15. Okay, here you go. So, this I think is very, very important. It's about what we can, we're going to come to, then we're going to have communion, and then we're going to go back into worship. Um, if another believer, another believer, another Christian, not some random, okay? Let's call it the Jacob Zuma that we all pretend not to have massive grievances with. We're not talking about that. If another believer sins against you, go privately, yeah, call it out in front of everyone before you've spoken to the person, and point out the offense. If the other, no, 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 that's not the one. No, man, the, um, before communion, don't take up um, the elements before. 1 Corinthians 11. I nearly went on a totally different preach. I was like, this is sounding good, but it's not familiar. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Okay. 7 11. No, that's husbands and holiness in marriage. Oh, I wish I hadn't lost this. Where did it go? It might have been, hey? 
eleven seventeen. Oh wait, no, Matthew five twenty three twenty four. If you're in conflict, yes, there we go. Sorry, Matthew five twenty three twenty four. Matthew five twenty three to twenty four. Fantastic. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, look at the burden. If you remember somebody else has something against you, the, the, it works both ways. If I've got something against Louise, that's one thing. But God's like, no, 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 no. Let's take the burden to bringing unity at all costs. I suspect Louise has got something against me. Don't shake your head. That's not cool in front of all these people. <laughs> so I go to Louise and I say, Louise, I just want to check. Are we cool? You know how much more healing comes from that? If you approach the person who's got something against you and you say, hey, I'm just checking, are we okay? That's much better than waiting until they are so hot-headed that they come to you and go, listen, Brew, actually, you know, I've had it. God is teaching so many things in this one, this one principle. Um, if you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come offer your sacrifice to God, your worship to God. Um, yeah, so what's important there for me is, is the burden. The burden is not for other people to come and find you out. You can be well aware of who might be offended with you, who you might have issues with. You can ask the Holy Spirit. When we don't have that unity, at least, at very least, in this community, we are robbing ourselves of the depth of worship that we want to experience. Who of you guys want to worship and suddenly feel God shake and wreck this room? I do. I want physical manifestations, not for the sake of ooh, ah, ah, but as a litmus of, geez, Lord, we have such powerful unity here, and we are so aligned with what you want for us that you've decided to presence yourself physically and manifest in that building. That's what I want. So, we are nearly done. Dale, if you could get ready, we're going to take communion, and Dale's got a song for us. Um, I want us to enter a posture of forgiveness now, okay? None of us, I, I, I'd struggle to believe that every person in this room doesn't have someone that they are forgiving or need to forgive. So while Dale is playing over us, I just want you to have time with the Lord. You can move your chair, stand up, sit down, lie on the floor, whatever it is. I want you to, to reflect on these people, on these situations that you need forgiveness with. And I want you to, if you need to, go and address that person. Big stretch, big vulnerability. They might not be in this community. They may have passed away. Obviously, there are things we can't do now. If there's anyone in this community that has a forgiveness issue to sort out, let's sort it out now and easily. Jeremy Riddle says, if you sort out the small things, if you confess the small things, you won't have to confess the big things. And the incredible logic there is if you're constantly going, geez, Louise, I ate your cake. Is that okay? You won't, you, you'll, you'll already have cultivated responsible attitude, so you won't have to go, Louise, it was me. I crashed your car. Hey, Dale. <laughs> really? <laughs> so so let's take this opportunity. I know it's weird. There's only way through the weirdness, and that's to hit the weirdness. If you guys have something that you need to take and do business with the Lord or with each other, let's sort it out now. Let's get it out of the way because I want us to come into absolute unity with, God, with what God wants to say in worship this morning, that we would feel that profound heaven singing over us. 
We sing to heaven, Lord, you are wonderful. Lord, you are beautiful. Lord, you are perfect. And heaven sings back down to us. But if we don't believe it, it's not going to come back and bless us. We need to open those channels this morning. Okay, so just stay where you are. Posture of forgiveness. They'll sing over us. Let's just process what we need to with the Lord. And then we're going to go into worship, guys. And rise up and worship like you believe every word.